morning. One of my favorite verses is in that section that Christine read this morning. Now it's a favorite verses of many of you. Matthew 6.33. Now my uh, brother Charlie knows it. That's the verse that uh, was his, uh, how would you call it? Theme verse. Theme verse for his wedding. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. It's a critical verse for the Christian life. I'm surprised in how many of my sermons it plays an important role as it will today, as hopefully we will see by the time we finish the sermon. So with that, let's turn to Numbers chapter 25. We'll continue where we stopped last time. If you remember, Israel was parked right outside of Moab, and the king of Moab, Balak, didn't like that. He was getting kind of nervous about them. And so he summoned Balaam, or Balaam, to help him out by cursing Israel. Of course, God interfered. He wouldn't let him curse Israel and made the prophet Balaam bless Israel, which really showed the blessed state of the nation of Israel at this time. And just to remind ourselves of it, let's go ahead and review one of the verses we covered last time. I believe it's Numbers chapter 24. Verse 21. No, I think it's 23:21. Can everybody hear me? Okay. So, Numbers 23 and verse 21. This is God speaking through Balaam about God. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord is God, is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. Any of you has strength like a wild ox? If you've seen a wild ox, you might appreciate the strength it's talking about. Of course, God, and through him, the nation of Israel had far more strength than what we would attribute to a wild ox. But it describes the power of Israel. They were undefeatable. As long as they were in the center of God's will, they could go and defeat every nation that came against them. And even when they tried to bring some sort of supernatural power against them, God said, no, you can't touch these people. As long as they were following the will of God. They were powerful, untouchable. All of that will change today. Let's pick up in verse 1 of Numbers 25. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the first anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body so the plague was stopped among the children of Israel and those who died in the plague were 24,000 then the Lord spoke to Moses saying Phinehas the son of Eliezer the son of Aaron the priest has turned my back my back my wrath from the children of Israel, because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him a covenant of everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement 
for the children of Israel. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of a father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zul. He was a head of a people of a father's house in Midian. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Harass the Midianites and attack them, for they harassed you with the schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a leader of Midian, the sister who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. All right. If you remember last week, there was an effort to weaken Israel by the curses of Balaam so that Moab could attack them and hope to win against them. Well, that failed because God told Balaam that he had to bless Israel. Well, we also saw last week that there was an advice then given by Balaam to Balak saying, look, if you really want to defeat these people, there's only one thing you can do. You must break their connection with God. And you do it by leading them to sin against God. And that's what was happening here. This was a scheme, as it's referred to in the later verses, not just of Moab, but also of Median. I don't know why Median decided, nation of Median decided to ally itself to Moab at the time, but they did. They both allied themselves against Israel, and they tried to destroy Israel by first breaking Israel's connection with God. And that was done by sending the women to of Moab and Midian to seduce the men of Israel, attract them to the feasts and the worship of the uh, Moabite and maybe the Midianite gods. And when Israel went and was worshiping the Midianite gods and the uh, Moabite gods, they were committing the sin of what? Idolatry. Right. We'll talk about idolatry today. Now, we often forget this about God, and uh, it, this reminded me of a story, so I'll start with the story. When I was in Berkeley, uh, shortly after I was saved, I was for a short period of time discipled by a man named David Mishkin, who was a missionary for Jews for Jesus, and he invited me one day to help him meet with a few Jewish students. So we went to meet with them. The idea was they seemed to express some interest in Christ or had some questions about Jews for Jesus. And so maybe they would be open to us witnessing to them. David suspected and, and warned me a little bit that it may not be the case. It could be, as it turned out to be, these people were not really interested in Christ. They wanted to convince us that we shouldn't believe in Christ. And uh, as we, we met with them, it was kind of divide and conquer. I don't know which of us did the dividing, but... I ended up talking to one, and David Mishkin ended up talking to a couple of them. Uh, the good news of the, the end of the story, to jump to the end, is it turned out even though they were hostile, in essence, one of them was a little bit open, and he was kind of listening as David was talking to one of the persons that was talking with him, and later that person actually was saved. So praise God how we can do that. But I was talking to a guy, and he was you know, throwing things at me, and one of the things he threw at me was this. He said... God isn't a person you can have a relationship with. And that, that kind of caught me off guard. What do you mean God is not a person that you can have a relationship with? And uh, praise God, he brought a verse to my mind, as, as he often does when we're out on the field for him, and that I shared with the man. And this is the verse. I'll just read it. Okay, I, I don't have the reference here. I cleverly took it out. It's somewhere in Exodus, but this is what it said. Uh, God tells them, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. When I presented it to this guy, you're saying he's not a person, you can have a relationship. Here God says that he is a jealous God. And jealousy is something that you can't separate from a person. A stone can't be jealous. The force can't be jealous. A person can be jealous. If there's something that should be mine and, and it's being unfaithful to me, I can be jealous. I can be jealous. And that is how God feels when we commit idolatry. That's what it's talking about, having other gods 
before him. God says it's something that makes him jealous. It offends God as you can only offend a person. Let's turn with those thoughts to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. It's good to see what God has to say about this. Jeremiah chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord. <clears throat> I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown, Israel was holiness to the Lord, the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them. This is the first part of the relationship, and the Lord says, Israel was precious in my sight. I enjoyed my relationship with them. I enjoyed them following after me in the wilderness. I enjoyed their holiness when they were just mine, following us. In all of these things, of course, we, we immediately should be turning our thoughts to ourselves. Obviously, this is talking about the nation of Israel. But we know that these things are, this is how we introduce this series of sermons. We're looking at examples in the Old Testament that speak to us about our lives. And this describes how the Lord feels about you. He enjoys his relationship with you. He should enjoy his relationship with you, your faithfulness. To him, it's something that's precious to him, and it's something that's there in every believer when they're saved. There's a special love for the Lord, closeness, and God appreciates it. It means something to God. He wants us to love Him. He wants this close relationship with us. Verse four: Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. What injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt? I brought you to a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers who transgressed against me, the prophets, prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Therefore I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord. And against your children's children I will bring charges. For pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and see, send to Kedar and consider diligently and see if there has been any such thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods, but my people have changed their glory for what does not profit? Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God was offended. God was upset that the people that were his and should have loved him and been faithful to him are now turned after idols. Now those two great evils that were done here, it says one is they forsaken the, the true God which could actually profit them. And they went after idols that are described here as broken cisterns that can hold no water. Cisterns were basically uh, holes that were dug out of the rocks in Israel where you don't have water coming out of the sky uh, every uh, season of the year. Like California, we only get rain here in the winter. Now we have all these clever canal systems that bring us water to our faucet when we turn it. In Israel, you didn't have that. So they would dig large holes in the rocks so when it rains in the winter, it would collect water, and then in the summer you could throw out of it. Well, broken cisterns means there's a crack in the bottom and all the water goes away. So you fill it up in the winter and the summer comes, 
and the water is all gone. And that's what happens in the case of idolatry for the nation of Israel. They went after these idols. These idols would not profit them. Israel has now lost its power. God was its supporter. God was its protector. The people left the protection of God and now started worshipping, went to the gods of Moab. The gods of Moab would not help it any. <coughs> All right, we talked about that. We talked about the fact that these were our examples for us to learn from. Now, what is idolatry? What is idolatry? This is one of the sins that I think people kind of cross off the list. I don't have to worry about this one because they, they see the movies with idols and people worshipping idols in various forms of ceremonies and they say, well, I don't do that, so I don't have to worry about being an idolater. I have a verse for you, if you think that. It's in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. I'll just read it. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. What is covetousness? Well, covetousness is basically wanting something badly. And particularly in that verse, it means wanting something more than I want God. Now, I may not be, be thinking that I want this thing more than I want God, but if somebody looks at my life and says, boy, I just spent about 20 hours this week playing this computer game. Let's see how many hours a week you spend reading the Word in prayer and fellowship and witnessing. Well, you know, I might be able to count the number of hours in one hand. I think Noah actually likes this computer game more than he likes God. What does the Bible say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Everything you have, you should be loving the Lord with. Whenever there's anything in your life that's more precious to you, and again, you may not be saying it's more precious to me, but by looking at your time, your money, your habits, I can tell this thing is more important to you than God. That's idolatry. That's putting something ahead of God in your life. Now, I was trying to think of some examples to try to bring it home to us. I already mentioned computer games, and that might be my own weakness. It actually used to be more books. I used to really like fantasy books. I could spend a whole day or a weekend just sitting, lying down in my bed reading a book. That's how much I liked it. Uh, movies, I know some people could be you just like watching movies. And that's what you do every afternoon. Uh, various forms of entertainment you know, would, would be encompassed by that. I was thinking of some other things that tend to be idols for us. And there are things associated with money. Obviously, money itself can be an idol. I, I may want a large bank account. Uh, it could be job, which is kind of related to money because I need a job to get money. And I may want a better job so I can make more money. I remember once uh, uh, noticing that I started dreaming about my job at night. And as I was trying to uh, you know, figure out what was going on, you know, why was I losing sleep? I mean, it wasn't dreaming. It was you know, more of being kept from sleeping because I was thinking about my job. And I realized, well, you know, my, uh, my uh, review is up. I'm about to be reviewed, and that might determine whether I, I get an increase in my salary. And you know, my mind was starting to think, you know, about what am I doing that might make them give me more money? So it can be kind of subtle. A house could, could fall under that because it's kind of an asset. They used to say your first big, best investment should be buying a house because that somehow assures your, your financial security in some sense. When you retire, you can sell your house and have that. So a lot of things that fall into money that we can set our eyes, our hearts on more than we set it on God. I was thinking of other things such as uh, popularity might, might capture a lot of things. One of the things that might fall under that is how do I look? My concern with how I appear to others, wanting to be a good-looking person. It was easy for me to give up on that one. <laughs> but, you know, what clothes I wear, you know, what clothes I buy and own. Uh, my performance, my performance. Uh, we're struggling with, with our daughter uh, sometimes with uh, competitive games. 
she doesn't like it because she has to win. And she's afraid she won't win, and so she doesn't want to play. And uh, we're, we're often concerned with our performance. Not necessarily at work. It might be more in social circles. Did I say the right things? Did I, did I impress people with how I was behaving? These are all things that can become dear to my heart. And I start wrapping my heart around. And it becomes an idol because it's something that I desire more or rather than God. It's an idol. All right. Some of the evils of idolatry or consequences of idolatry. I have three here that we can see in the nation of Israel and we can also see in our own lives. Number one I have, the wages of sin is death. Idolatry is a sin. All right, what do you mean the wages of sin is death? Well, death, if you look at how it's used in the Bible, means separation from God. Yes, it also means the, the death of my body. That's, that's a fair application. But really, the wages of sin is death. talks about separation from God. The first mention of the word death, in the day you will eat of that tree, you will surely die. Adam and Eve's bodies did not die on that day, but they were separated from God when they sinned against God. When, when I sin against God, my fellowship with Him is broken. And I can sense it in a number of ways. For one thing, I tend to lose my peace and my joy. I tend to feel empty inside. Jesus said, I have come that they may have an abundant life. I'm not enjoying an abundant life when there's a sin, there's something that's separating me from God. This is a verse written about the nation of Israel. However, sorry, I'm going to jump back to another verse I had. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Here it's talking about prayer. The nation of Israel turning to God, saying, help us out here. These guys are attacking us. They're hurting us. Well, there was a sin in Israel's life, or Israel as a nation, and so there was separation. There was no response from God. And that's what was happening to them here. Remember, God was protecting them. They were a nation whose God was dwelling in their midst, empowering them like a wild ox. Nobody could resist them. Well, now it was taken away. They've become weak. They, were, they would be right now easy meat. If the Moabites, Midianites, decided to attack them right now, easy prey. Israel would have just fallen. When they were sinning, when they were right with God, it said, you know, one man will chase a hundred, and you know, a few of you will chase ten thousand. But when Israel was at sin with God, it was the other way around. One man will put a thousand of you to fight. Israel would lose. When they were right with God, they had power. When they were off, they had no power. In fact, God was against them, as we see in this passage. So the first consequence of idolatry is death. We lose power. We lose the fellowship of God. We suffer. Number two, evil number two, I, I have it written here as lost glory to God. Lost glory to God. Let me read a verse. Second Samuel 12.14 This is the story of David. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. The story of King David after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. He's afraid he'll be put to death after Nathan comes and confronts him with this sin. Nathan assures him he's not going to die. But he says this, However, because by this deed you have given great occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. So because of the sin that David performed, people can look at David and say, Boy, you know, this is the man of God over Israel. Look what he has done. What does that tell us about his God? What kind of a God is it that would have a man that does things like this? Okay, that's about David. Same thing can be said about us. 1 Timothy 6.1 Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And here it talks to workers in your field of works. 
do the, the job you, you were given as unto your boss, as unto the Lord. Save your boss or your company faithfully. If not, you'll give occasion for also that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. If you are not being a faithful worker, if people can look at you and say, oh, this is a guy that's you know, cheating on his work. Instead of doing his job, he's on his computer, surfing the net. Or in some other ways, they can see unfaithfulness in your job, and they know that you're a Christian, it reflects poorly on God. This is uh, something that got my attention today. I was listening to a book on tape about uh, Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers had a friend, and his friend used to be an atheist, became a believer, praise the Lord, based on this argument. There was a famous atheist about 100 years ago, and this was his argument. You know, if God was real, if Jesus Christ was God, his followers would claim his divine power and live godly lives. Do you understand that argument? Therefore, if his followers do not live godly lives, it means that Jesus is not God, and that God is not real. Am I causing that? Is the way I'm living my life going to be a justification for somebody to doubt the power of Christ? It is. If I call myself a Christian, and Christ is from God, and Christ makes available to me all the power of God that raised him from the dead to live a godly life, and I don't live a godly life, it suggests that Christ doesn't really have this power when I don't live a godly life. God loses glory. When I commit idolatry, when I lose the power of God, when I'm walking in sin, it takes away glory from God. It robs God of the glory that he deserves. Consequence number three. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. This was, these were Jesus' words to his disciples. We are the salt of the earth. We were put here to stop sin. When sin comes rolling down the hill, gets to us, it should stop. We should be living our lives that people don't like sinning around us because it makes them feel uncomfortable. We're supposed to, to have a, a, a sin-quelching or quenching quality about our lives. We're supposed to be the light of the world. People, by looking at us, should be able to see God and the way that God has made for people to come to know him. When I am falling under the spell of idolatry, if there's something more important to me than God, am I being the salt of the earth? Am I being a light to the world? Now I'm hurting others. First I was hurting myself, then I was hurting God. Now I'm hurting other people, all because of this idolatry, something that I'm allowing to become more important to me than God is. All right, the evils of idolatry. Well, now we have the solution, the solution for idolatry. Okay, so we're getting to the good news portion. Verses 4 and 5, I'll just reread them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord, out in the sun, that the first anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you, kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. Solution is very simple. Take all the people who are doing it, publicly execute them. First of all, you're stopping their sin. Second of all, it's a good example for the rest of the people. I mean, it's that simple. It sounds harsh for us, but that's the solution about idolatry. Take it out. Stop it. What you're doing has to be removed. You need to stop committing this idolatry. Whatever is causing this sin has to go. Has to go. Moses turns to the judges of Israel and says, let each of you kill his men that are doing these things. Okay, that's now distribution of responsibility. Perfectly fair. Moses was given, I don't know if, if you remember, if we covered it as we went through the lives of Mo- life of Moses, but... Moses had too big of a job for one man. 
And so the Lord took of the spirit he put on Moses and put it on 70 other men of Israel. They became judges. They ruled with Moses. Each of them had to only rule one seventieth of Israel. I don't know what that would come up to. Several tens of thousands, each of them. Still a big job, but that was their responsibility. Each of them now needed to find which of the people under his responsibility were doing this and publicly execute them. Okay, very simple. Okay. Again, applying it to ourselves, God gives each of us a responsibility for our sins, the sins in our lives, that are under our power. I can't change somebody else. It could be that I'm participating in a group form of idolatry. Maybe I like going to the movies with a bunch of other people. Or maybe me and my wife have a common dream that is an idol. I can't change other people, and I can't say, well, until they change, I might as well do the same thing. No, you have been given a response. Each of these 70 people was given a responsibility, a group of people he was responsible for. And he needed to cut out that sin out of his area of responsibility. That's what each of us have. We have an area of responsibility. All right, consequence of not being faithful to this responsibility. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 30 through 32. I'll read that. But for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. This was a sin that was apparently uh, rampant in the Corinthian church, and that was just total disrespect during the breaking of bread. It's what we did this morning. It's an hour dedicated to worshiping the Lord. And in the church of Corinth, there was just disrespect. The way people were going about remembering the Lord was simply disrespectful. And because of that, God was judging them. And how does it say he was judging them? Some of you sleep. The word sleep here describes people dying. Some of them were dying from sickness or whatever. And Paul is saying, this is why it's happening. And this is what he says. He says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. If we were to judge ourselves, we shall not be judged. I remember playing a computer game one day. You can tell this is what I was struggling with most. And I knew I shouldn't be doing it. For one thing, it was a stolen copy. And uh, I decided to persevere at it. I think I told this story once before. So if you've heard it before, you can stop listening for a minute. I, for some reason, I was so into the game, I was flossing my teeth while I was doing it. <laughs> and right there, flossing my teeth, one of my tooth broke. Just like that. And I knew I could feel it was the judgment of the Lord. The Lord was just putting his finger on me. And immediately I knew what to do. I <laughs> backed up, turned the game off, deleted it off my computer, got rid of it. But if I would judge myself, I would recognize, wait a second, this is becoming idolatry. This is becoming sin in my life. And I would take an action on it. I wouldn't have had to experience that broken tooth. That cost me a thousand dollars to repair. Okay, I could have saved myself a thousand dollars by just acting. When I knew what I did was wrong, I could, should have just acted. That would have ended it right there. It's always more expensive, more painful, when we refuse to deal with our responsibility of repenting of a sin and giving up a sin and waiting until the Lord has to hammer it in. He will. Praise God. Why? It says here, so you won't have to be judged later with the world. He does it to separate us from sin. We need him. But it's always better to be responsible with our sins. All right. Okay, some more good news here. Continuing in verse 6. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand 
And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel and those who died in the plague were 24,000. Well, first, a little bit of bad news. This guy was bad news. Okay, so it's, it's just hard to imagine how uh, the, the boldness of the man, but it showed really how degenerate Israel was becoming here. That a leader, this guy was a powerful man. He was the head of one of the sections or major families in the type of Simeon. He might have had 10,000 guys that would look to him as a leader. And he takes this woman who apparently was also from a powerful family in Median. Again, this is part of the whole sin. The whole, whole thing centered around, and, and this is something I skipped and I wish I wouldn't have skipped. Idolatry, I guess is, it's obvious, comes from our flesh. This man wasn't bowing to the gods of Moab because they were greater, worshipping them because they were somehow greater than the God of Israel. There was something in it for him. There was something in it. Idolatry, idols are things that people have invented. Fallen, there is the true God, and we didn't really like something about the true God, usually because there's something he doesn't want me to do, so I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll pick up this thing here, make an image, and I'll call this God. And this, this is what idolatry was. It's basically people turning from the true God, wanting a God that would allow them to do what they really wanted to do, which what was going on in the rites of this uh, Moabite and, and uh, Midianite worship ceremonies or whatever you want to call them. It was selfish. It was derived out of selfishness. Whereas worship of God is never done out of selfishness. Or true worship of God is only done out of appreciation. This is a true worship of God. You've come to know what God is like, who God is like. And you might appreciate God also for what he has done for you. And because of that, you worship him. Jesus said this, uh, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, I think for God is spirit. I got that verse somewhat mixed up. But anybody has it right for me? Yeah. Yeah, God is spirit, so they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's nothing in the flesh in worshiping God. I don't come to God to worship him because I'm expecting him to do something for me. I mean, if I do, that's not real worship. Okay? And I don't worship God because of some, of some way I want God to be. It's only out of truth. That's the only type of worship God, God accepts, is us coming to know him how he really is. This morning we stopped and we were thinking of what God has done for us, how much he loved me, the sinner. And thinking of that great love he has for me, how great God is, brings worship out of me. Whereas here, idolatry was always fleshly. This man of Israel was doing it to serve himself. And so he brings out the Midianite woman right there to the congregation of the Lord. It says he presents her to his brothers. Look at the good stuff I'm getting from doing this. You guys should really join me. There's, there's, there's good stuff for all of us here. I mean, this is just, just presenting sin to the nation of Israel. And uh, it describes here the people of Israel weeping. It says they were weeping uh, in, at, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And I was thinking, well, it's good that they're weeping. I mean, this is, this is really sad what's going on. But there's a problem with that. Uh, I have a verse here. Made me think of that. This is uh, taken from Joshua after the nation of Israel sinned. After they, they took Jericho. And then some men were sent to take the city of Ai and they lost. Why? Because there was sin in the nation of Israel. And, and Joshua was on his face before the Lord. What happened? Why did we lose? And this was the word of God to him. He said this, Get up! Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. Get up and do something about it. And here were the people of Israel, and it says that they were weeping. But you don't see any action. Here's this man is coming in this bold sin in the middle of Israel. Nobody is taking any action. And he walks away. And it's only when this man walks away that Phinehas finally has enough of it, and he stands up and he says, if nobody is going to do something about it, I will. And that's what he does. He follows this man, uh, takes a spear, follows him into the tent, and puts the spear through him and the woman. Lessons. 
lessons of how to deal with idolatry. Number one lesson, don't delay. Don't wait. The Lord gave you a consciousness of sin in your life. Act on it at that time. I, I wonder if maybe one of, I'm trying to think, what was going on in the mind of these judges of Israel as this man walks with this obvious sin? And they just got the instruction from Moses, go and kill all these guys, put them, you know, publicly execute them. And I'm, maybe, maybe I'm the judge who is over this guy. And he's my responsibility. I'm thinking, well, I mean, there's a number of things he could be thinking, like, boy, if I go after this guy, he has 10,000 guys that are going to come after me. So, I mean, that's one concern. But the other one is, this is not the best time. We'll wait till afterward the crowds disperse. I'll get a few of my men and we can go after him. I mean, he might have been thinking something like that. Not a good idea. If you're aware of sin, act on it now. Number one, lesson. Number two, Deal with the sin with finality. With finality. I imagine that Phinehas could have gone in there and showed the guy the spear and say, this is what's going to happen next time. <laughs> no, he puts the spear through. This is not happening again. And that's the best thing we can do for ourselves with sin in our life. If there's a way you can permanently remove that possibility of sin from your life, do it. Otherwise, it will come again. It will come again. Deal with it with finality. Lesson number three, and I've, I've kind of hinted at it already, don't be held back by possible personal loss. Phinehas could have been just as concerned about the 10,000 guys that followed this man would do to him after he killed him. He he would have had more right to be concerned. At least the judge over him could say, well, Moses told me, and Moses can say, God told me. So if you guys want to go after someone, go after God. Phinehas technically hasn't received officially this responsibility. And so he has a much higher chance of being charged with murder or, or some sort of inappropriate behavior. And yet, he wasn't concerned. To him, the number one thing is Israel has strayed from the Lord. The relationship between them and God has been broken. At whatever cost, that has to be brought back. So without, without personal thought of the cost to himself, he went and took care of business with this man. Now, I think this is often the thing that restrains us most. Is we think about, well, I could deal with this sin by doing this. But then look at all the other ways it's going to hurt me. I'm not going to be able to do all these other things I like to do. Instead of deleting the game, Maybe I just, you know, will, you know, save it on a disc and, you know, won't, won't play with it for a few days or a few weeks. Uh, maybe uh, I'll find some other ways that's not so painful, but it always leaves room for things to come back. Jesus said this. Said this. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable to you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And I, I'm, I don't mean to be suggesting that people can lose their salvation or talk about the security of salvation. But the point is, Nothing is more important than your relationship with God. Not your right eye, not your right hand, not anything in your life is more important. That is the sole value of your life, consists in your relationship with God. Now, God gives you many wonderful things that you get to enjoy. If you have to give up some of them in order to be with God, he will say the same thing he said to Peter. When Peter said, well, we've, we've forsaken all and followed you, Jesus said to him, you know, I tell you, in this life and in the life to come, you will get tenfold or a hundredfold of what you have given up. Everything we're willing to give up to God, He will give us more. Our, our true value, our true enjoyment of life comes from Him, not from the things that we possess. There's nothing you can give up that's more valuable than a relationship with God. And so, we should be willing to give up everything for a relationship with God.
Alright, now we really got to the good news. Verse 10. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel with my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Number one blessing is salvation. Salvation from being separated from God because of your sin. The consequences of your sin that were against you are taken out of the way when you repent. Take whatever it takes to separating you from God you will be restored to fellowship with God. Just like Israel was here restored to fellowship. And whatever judgment was against you, like against Israel, will be taken away. God was just applying this pressure to you to get you to repent. So the first good news really is you're saving yourself from the consequences of your sin. Second good news is included here. It's described as the covenant of peace, giving to Phinehas the covenant of everlasting priesthood. In Israel... If you wanted to come to God, if you were just an average schmo like me, you would come to the opening of the tent and you'd bring your animal and offering. You might be able to go about as far as the altar where the animals offered, and that's it. You can't get any closer to God than that. Okay, God, remember, beyond the tabernacle, beyond the altar, there's actually another building called uh, also the tabernacle or the, the sanctuary. And in there, there was a section that the priest could go into and offer certain things. And then at the end, there was another section where God actually dwelt. The Shekinah glory was there. But as an average Israeli, I could only go so far. Okay, If I was one of the priests, just one of the priests, I could go more. I could actually go into the first division of the sanctuary. Okay, I could, I could go and do certain offerings that they had over there. They had the bread and the uh, a a candlestick and uh, the altar of incense. I could go that far. But only one person in Israel could go beyond that and actually enter into the presence of God. Only once a year. But, but what God told uh, Phinehas, you got the job. Okay? He wasn't automatically going to have the job. He was just one of the descendants of Aaron. One of Aaron's descendants would have had it. And now God said, I'm going to give it to you and all your descendants after you. This is the person I want with me. Why? Well, God said it here. He said, because he was zealous with my zeal among them. He felt about sin and about the importance of being together with me the same way that I feel. There was a man with the same heart of God towards sin. And this is the wonderful thing that God is offering to us. If we're willing to pluck out the idols from our lives, it means closer fellowship with God. Right now, whatever idol you have in your life are separating you from God. They're preventing you from enjoying the full blessings that God has for you. Take him out. Pluck him out. And then you can have this close fellowship with God that he wants you to have. The same thing that, that Phinehas got as a result of being able to, being willing to have the same attitude towards sin that God had towards sin. I'll finish briefly with uh, this story. Anybody here heard of Evan Roberts? Evan Roberts? How about uh, the Welsh Revival? Right, a few more people. It happened about a hundred years ago. Revivals have been something I've been more interested in lately. And uh, this was one of the great revivals. And really, the Spirit of God moves. People get saved. Society gets changed. That's the power of God there. And this was a man. His name was Evan Roberts. He was a young man. So I hope for you young men out there. Uh, he was going to a seminary. Uh, just started going. Just spent a few months there. He heard a powerful preacher came by and, and preached a message. And he got really convicted about the need of, of taking sin out of your life in order to have close fellowship with God. And he went back to his hometown and ask his pastor if he can, you know, speak to the congregation. And the pastor looks at him like, as far as I'm concerned, you just flanked out seminary. You want to preach in my church? 
So he gives him a break and he says, all right, you know, after the young people meeting, I'll, I'll tell people whoever wants to say and listen to what Father Robert has to say, you know, is welcome to stay and listen to what he has to say. And so they stayed and Father uh, Roberts, Evan Roberts, shared basically these four points with them. This is what we need to do. Confess all known sin. Deal with and get rid of anything doubtful in your life. Be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. Confess Christ publicly. And the, the pastor, after hearing what he had to say, felt, well, that was pretty good. All right, I'll let this guy speak to my uh, midweek meeting. So in the midweek meeting, he let this guy talk, and you know, he shared basically the same message, and, and God started moving in the congregation. So the pastor said, okay, you can preach on Sunday. I'll give you the main meeting. And he preached the main meeting. And that started a whole movement of revival. Just this basic, simple principle. Confess all known sin. Deal with and get rid of anything doubtful in your life. Be ready to obey the Holy Spirit and confess Christ. That's all God wants. If you're His 100%, if there's nothing between you and God, God can do mighty things with you as He did with this. This was one of God's irregulars. You know, most people thought He was kind of weird. But He was willing to do that. He was willing to deal with sin the same way Phinehas was willing to deal with sin. And, and if we're willing to do the same thing, there's no bar to what God can do with you and me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do want to remember that we don't just want to not be idols. We want to be worshipers of God. We want to appreciate you for what you have done for us and love you as you deserve to be loved. But we do ask this, Lord, if there's anything in our life that is causing us to stumble and preventing us from enjoying the full blessing of God in our lives. Oh, Lord, show it to us and help us deal with it as as Phinehas dealt with it, not being afraid of what it cost us and desire simply that a closer walk with you. But we ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name.